from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 79. Upgrade is brought to you this week by the good people at Casper, premium mattresses on the internet, Squarespace, beautiful websites, I guess. I'm going to make that one up. And MailRoute, filtering spam and bounce mail out from your mail before it even gets to your server. I'm Jason Snell. I don't normally read that part because Mike Hurley is usually here. But Mike Hurley is in transit from America where he attended Matt Alexander's wedding in Dallas this weekend. And uh, he, he is on the way back to London. So I have brought in one of my special guest hosts to join me for this week's edition of Upgrade. It, you know him from, uh, among other places, the Accidental Tech Podcast and Reconcilable Differences, as well as, of course, many appearances on The Incomparable. It's Mr. John Syracuse. Hello. I was disappointed. I thought you were going to do the accent. Oh, I oh no. I that would be that would be really bad. My my English, I'm not prepared to do my English accent and I can't do a Mike Hurley impression. That I really can't do. I can do some fake English accents that I learned from watching BBC shows when I was in high school, but um but I I don't think I could do an impression of Mike. Hello, no, mate. Well, That's about all I got. Can, we can work on that. We can uh, work on that together. All right. Uh, well, that was what Mike and I that was our that was our code. Hello, mate. This is a podcast. That's it. That's all I got. Do some Spinal Tap lines. Do some Princess Bride lines. That's about it. That's all I got. And those are fake accents, too. So, um, normally in the show, we do follow-up slash uh, follow-out. I know that these are not entirely approved terms by John Syracuse, but there it is. Um, I wanted to mention that we did, uh, you, and, you and I, and along with a bunch of other interesting people, did an episode of The Incomparable that posted this weekend about Firewatch, the game from Camposanto and published by Panic. And people should listen to it if they want to hear, uh, yeah, they might want to hear what I have to say about it, or Tiffany Armand, or, or uh, Brian Hamilton, or Tony Sindelar, uh, uh, but, or, um, uh, or you. See, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the, the, the big piece there. You, you also, that is your like official... So far, your official statement, Serenity Caldwell's on that too, although she had the flu and so she was very tired. Um, that's your official statement about, about Firewatch so far is episode 290 of The Incomparable. Yeah, I think we covered it all. Like, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a need for me to talk about it in any other podcast. I think I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I felt, I felt good after it was done. I felt like everybody yeah. got, you know, their opinions out there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it, I think it worked out pretty well. Um, and then it's a, and it's a good game. People should play it. It's it's reasonably priced. Uh, my understanding is on most modern Macs, it will play fairly well. You may have to crank down the settings. The frame rate may be kind of low, but um, it's playable. And uh, if you've got a PS4, you can you can buy it and play it there too. And uh, like I'm fond because I, I'm not somebody who invests dozens of hours of time like you do in something like Destiny. I just I'm never going to play. Uh, a, a game like that for all of those hours, hundreds of hours. Um, I love these short games that take. They're sort of like movie length. They're a little bit longer, but um, I think I think I played Firewatch in like three hours, three and a half hours, or something like that, and it was a great experience. And I was happy that I had done it uh, when I got to the end. And I might play it through again. I'm actually hoping that my wife will play it through, and maybe I'll watch while she does that. But um, I love those. I love these short games that are you can you can tell a story and have an experience and get to the end and not have invested you know a week or two of your life. That's the key that you you will be able to get to the end. Like yeah. For the most part, if you can make it five minutes into this game, you will be able to get to the end. You will not find yourself thwarted by like, I started playing this game and then it got too hard and I couldn't. Finish <laughs> yeah, it. it's you, not one of those will, games. You'll make it through. Can you move around in a three D world? I mean, if you can move around, like yeah, I mean that is a barrier to be fair. But mm -hmm. if you make it past the first five or ten minutes, it's you're you'll be fine. 
Yeah. And you'll be sucked into it, and uh, you should block out three hours to play to play it straight through because uh, it's fun. It's it's a page turner of a game, if that makes sense. Yeah, and people were asking about the incomparable episode. They said, "Are there spoilers?" And I, I think we did a pretty good job. If you want to be completely unspoiled about the the game, you shouldn't listen to the episode until you played it. If you we talk about things that sound like they could be major spoilers, but I feel like they aren't because they're they're things that happen in the first couple of minutes of the game so they aren't spoilers for the game the game play they're just spoilers for the premise of the game which is a, i feel like a different kind of spoiler and when we get to the point where we start talking about what happens at the end of the game we blow the spoiler horn but um you know it depends on how how you know how lightly do you want to be spoiled uh going into it I, we do talk about it a lot before we get into the you know what happens part of the of the of the story yeah, and to some degree, if you have no awareness of the game, you have to at least like read a summary somewhere, or start reading a summary to know what kind of game is this. Right. Uh, but if you don't really care and you just want to take our word for it, going in cold is always fun. It's like going into a movie that you, you know, maybe you've never seen an ad for it, never seen a poster, know nothing about it, and you just show up. And sometimes that can be fun. I saw the uh, demo at XOXO, uh, which was really interesting because it's... Um, I I so I I knew part of the game but not the beginning <laughs> because the demo is a part where you're sent on a mission because you see some fireworks you know the part I'm talking about and you have to go investigate by the lake what's the source of the fireworks and get those people to stop shooting off those fireworks and um but watching the game I had no idea of the backstory of the character and that's the first 5 or 10 minutes of the game is this backstory of how this person ends up the who you are playing ends up out in the wilderness and and uh, so it was kind of fun to go through that because I was like, "Oh, that's why he's out here." Because I that part I hadn't seen. I had I'd seen a chunk from sort of like the, you know, the twenty minute mark in the game, not from the very beginning. That's always a challenge for those games. Like, if you're going to give a demo, what what do you even what do you demo? Yeah, because uh, it's very difficult to. You don't want to spoil the game by demoing it, but you do want to show people what the game is like. Uh, and usually, don't have time or money to make a custom segment that's not actually in the game that merely shows. I don't know what the game would be like. Right. That mini game that I want where all you do is stand there and look for fires in the in the in the wilderness. That Just, is not what the game is like though. It's not that is not it is not like the world's slowest arcade game where you where you're there for an entire summer. It's not like desert golfing. It, where, it, involved, <laughs> it, 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 it rolls out in real time, so you literally have to be there for yeah. an entire summer. Yeah, and, and on day thirty one there's a little puff of smoke and you're like, Oh, is that a oh no, that's nothing. And then the the rest of the summer passes. It's not that's not what the game is. It's not like that at all. Um, uh, anyway, it's it's a good game. We we all liked it. Um, we have criticisms because you know nothing is so perfect as somebody told me that it cannot be criticized. But um, I think totally worth playing. And since there's a Mac version of it, if you've got a Mac that's at all modern, you should be able to play it, which is which is nice. Um, oh, I also had a little bit of follow-out for ATP, the latest episode, 159, uh, which I started listening to uh, live, and then I, I had to make dinner for my family, and I, and then it turns out I tuned out just as my name was being mentioned, which is hilarious, because I totally missed that part. I could have I been there when it happened, um, but because uh, you were talking about my Ethernet port dying the other week. Yep. With the stealth software update where they, they banned, Apple banned its own Ethernet driver um, from from activating, which I figured out because I have my Ethernet connected to a Thunderbolt breakout box. And um, 
and I thought something had happened to the Thunderbolt box, like it had died. So I plugged the Ethernet into my iMac, and it still didn't work. And I thought, okay, that is creepy. <laughs> like I got another cable and plugged it in, and that one didn't work either. And then I was completely mystified about what was going on for a while there. So, um, but you know, it's all good now. Um, I got my Ethernet back, and I actually leave my Wi-Fi turned off because there's an annoying bug in OS 10 where sometimes. Even though Ethernet is prioritized over Wi-Fi, um, sometimes the uh, Wi-Fi seems to just decide it's going to be used instead. And so I'll be copying a, you know, 20 gigabyte podcast uh, folder to my server and I have gigabit Ethernet and it will and I will find that it's transferring it really slowly and it's because it's it's using Wi-Fi instead. So I generally leave my Wi-Fi turned off because that's the one way that I can force my computer to always use Ethernet. But as a result, when my Ethernet ports died, I knew immediately because I was off the internet. And all my audio plugins with their annoying DRM that like have they phone home to make sure that you're authorized, they're all based not only could they get not get on the internet, they're all based on your Ethernet ID apparently. <laughs> and uh it couldn't see my Ethernet uh, cards, essentially, my Ethernet hardware on any of my uh, 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 Ethernet devices attached to the system. So they all failed, too. I didn't get yeah, any I did, editing I did done the same thing on, on my iMac. I always leave the Wi-Fi turned off for that exact reason. And also, around the same time this bug happened, my one of my Ethernet switches went bad. As far as I'm able to determine, it really did go bad because I don't... It didn't not see the Ethernet port. It was there, and it would sort of work. When I would reboot my switch, it would appear to work for a second, but then would become disconnected, and then I would watch my switch reset. Anyway, I think I actually really did have a bad switch, but it was kind of weird that I had an Ethernet problem at the same time Mm. that other people were having the, hey, it has disabled my uh, Ethernet driver problem. Yeah, wired Internet. It's still a thing. It's still, I mean, the speed I get with... uh that, that gigabit Ethernet, it's so great. I, I copy these huge files, and they copy so fast. It's amazing. I love it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still a little baffled about why the system tries to use the deprioritized uh, network adapter. Like, it's down at the bottom of the list. Like, really, don't use Wi-Fi. And it's still it, finder copies will still happen with Wi-Fi. And, you know, you can't tell if it's a, sh- a small file, but when it's one of those 20 gigabyte folders and it says this will take 40 minutes and you're like, that's, that's too long. It should take less time. But I, I don't know. There's something there. It must, I, I don't, I, I'm mystified about it because it's not like my ethernet co- connection goes up and down. It's always there. It's solid. I can see the cable. <laughs> you know? And yet it'll be like, I'm just going to use Wi-Fi now. That'll be, that'll be fun. Let's let's yeah. thro- throw these bits in the air just for kicks. Yeah, I have no idea why it does that either. I mean, I've seen the same thing, and you know, I in fact I get to the point now where I know I don't trust the ordering at all. If I see the little fan symbol in the menu bar because I've forgotten to turn it off, I just immediately turn it off. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The only problem is um is handoff stuff. Although um, handoff stuff is. I think some of the handoff stuff now works even when you're on Ethernet. If you've got Ethernet and Bluetooth, like it'll say, "Oh, you're on the network and you've got Bluetooth." But but in Yosemite, I know that I couldn't use handoff with anything if I had Wi-Fi turned off. So if I wanted to hand off something, I had to like it kind of destroyed the purpose of having a convenient way to do handoff. Is I would have to go turn Wi-Fi on and then 
hand something off and then turn it back off, which is dumb. Oh, well. Anyway, um, that wasn't even my follow-out. My follow-out was that you talked about HFS Plus. Uh, I don't know if I have that ding sound effect that I can put in that Marco always puts in for ATP. But um, I, I just, I loved you talking about HFS Plus and and the whole story behind how if you attached an HFS Plus drive to a Mac, and this is a, a Mac OS 8.1, right, that this that, that this happened. It was ni- like 1998, and uh, if you attach an HFS Plus to a, a Mac that didn't support HFS Plus, it had that little uh, like uh, teach text file, or or that was basically you cannot. Here's why you can't see what's on this disk, and you could open it, and it would tell you, and it was just baked into the the format was this kind of fake old style HFS disk that had this one file in it. But what was really funny, and also kind of sobering in terms of how long ago this was and that I remember it is that was right when I started at Macworld. I started Macworld in late 97 and I remember the briefing that we had about 8.1 where they, they had a whole like white paper about HFS plus um, they came into the Macworld offices and this was back in the time when Apple executives came to computer magazines because Apple was not, you know, in great shape and like extolled the virtues of their updates and stuff. So we had like Phil Schiller. I'm not sure if he was in that briefing. He might have been. Yeah, I, I definitely remember Phil Schiller coming in for OS 10 briefings, uh, coming, you know, schlepping up to San Francisco and coming to all, presumably all of the magazines and sitting down and doing a demo of what they were doing with the operating system. And I definitely remember, I remember the room it was in that we had that briefing for OS 8.1 and HFS Plus. And they were talking about how exciting, exciting it was that they had this new update to the the file system and it was going to be the Mac OS extended format and it was going to offer all of these possibilities and possibilities for the future. And I remember at the time it was just sort of like, okay, this new file system, that's a little wrinkle, but um, you, I would never have guessed that 18 years later (laughs) we would still be using it on all of our computers. 18 years later, it's still just HFS plus. Like I think that when they made OS ten or when they make these these grand new things, they're like, we believe this is going to be the foundation for the Mac platform for the next fifteen years or mm-hmm. something like that. Even then, they don't say like eighteen to 20. maybe they said twenty. I don't know, but like the sort of grand vision of like we are setting the foundation for you know the next era. Uh, and this was just like uh, now you can have big volumes and your block size won't be humongous. Well, yeah, and they didn't even have, this was not even in the, um, you know, this was the, what? This was the very beginning of the Steve Jobs return era. But really, uh, this was obviously in the works for before Steve got there. This was before the next acquisition happened that they that they were working on this thing. And all our devices still have it. Now, they did. it's not like they didn't add stuff, right? They, they added journaling at one point. And, of course, there was that question of whether this was going to be the file system that OS X used, uh, which ultimately, uh, yeah, it was in the end. But um, we still have it all, the, all this time later. And I, we're not going to do I, – I, somebody actually asked what we what, – um, when I asked what we should talk about on this episode, somebody said, uh, everything that John likes to talk about except file systems. <laughs> okay. Wow. But um but I wanted to I wanted to at least reminisce about this a little bit just because this 
this seemingly innocuous briefing that I remember from 1998, and and it's still with us today. And I I just find that mind boggling. That I mean, I I I feel like I've been in the house that I live in forever, and that's we bought it in 1999. That was 17 years ago. HFS Plus longer than that. Wow. Another fun tidbit about uh, HFS Plus was it had support for 255 character file names. But up to that point, the Mac had been limited to 32 character mm-hmm. files. So the file system supported it, but the operating system didn't yet. Right. So they could kind of sort of brag. They're like, oh, we've extended HFS Plus and it has these new features. And you can change these new attributes to let you have larger volume sizes. And you can have 255 character files, but not really because the OS doesn't support <laughs> that yet. But we'll support that soon. So it's like you had a file system. Uh, that supported a feature, but then an operating system that kept you within 32 character file names, which was just weird. But back then, something like that was was the least of Apple's problems. You're yeah. like, okay, well, at least I suppose in a future update, assuming Apple is still in business, they'll have this thing. We're, we're, we were so beaten down at that point. It's like, whatever. Okay, fine. Great. You know, yeah, it was a different era. Yeah, because Windows had true 255 character mm-hmm. volumes at that point, and so there was a little bit of a competition there. Yeah, I remember we, you know, you get the finder and you start to type and you can't, you know, they're like, yay, long file name support is here, but you'd still get to, what, 32 characters, and it would be like, boop, nope, that's it, that's all you get, until they updated the whole OS to support it later. Um, and then you know, the OS ten era, there was, the, there was all the, like, are they going to support uh, uh, case-insensitive or case-sensitive, and the... Uh, there's yeah it's it's actually kind of a miracle that although they made that huge operating system switch with OS 10 they kept the file system it's kind of amazing but yeah i mean there was the option to install on UFS for a little while mm-hmm. in the early days of OS 10 but that eventually went by the wayside yeah I, I like how that went too because over time it just got more and more the warnings got more and more dire do you remember that where it was like you probably don't want to do this and then i think maybe mm-hmm. at one point it was just in the server install it was like well yep. OS 10 server could do it but you really don't want to and it's got there are issues but we'll let you and then finally it was just like no you no it's OS 10 extended or Mac OS extended is required now. Um, I had a couple more pieces of follow up, and then we'll get into our topics. Uh, I, I thought it was, um, uh, we got, we got a note from Michael listener, Michael, uh, based on last week's show where Mike and I talked about the naming of the iPad and iPad pro. And this seemed, this question seemed to have your name written all over it as somebody who used an iPod touch for a very long time, which is, if we go to iPad and iPad Pro lines, how about the iPad line adding a third size and using that to replace the iPod Touch? Could they just ch- change the silk screen on the back of the iPod Touch and call it a an iPad Light or something? The iPad with the iPad Nano, right? iPad Nano, yeah, that's it. Okay, all right. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this idea of like do that bifurcating that... the iPad. No. no, as as incredibly confused as the iPod Touch. Uh, product name is uh i don't think it would be an improvement to call it an ipad because ipad (laughs) means tablet for everybody and when you see this tiny little thing you could say whatever you think it might be but it's definitely (laughs) not a tablet it's not you know what i mean it's barely i mean smaller than all than all of apple's phones smaller than the phones exactly that's exactly it so why would you do that yeah, so it just it just they can Apple will continue to call it the iPod Touch and customers will continue to call, call it the, the iTouch and that'll be fine. <laughs> yep, that's that's it. I don't know. I, I'm still I I I kind of have come around to the idea of of splitting the iPod iPad line in two. Um, 
but uh, I, I, yeah, it's still going to be weird if they do it. And I'm not. What quite do you mean sure. by two? Like pro, pro and non-pro? Yeah, pro and non-pro. The idea that the the things that are the, the top of the line features are are the. Um, I wrote a piece that was on MacWorld that I'll put in the show notes um, about the idea that yeah, so your pencil support and your smart connector and the top of the line processors basically are in something you call the iPad Pro. Even if they come in what we think of as the iPad Air size and the iPad Pro size now, and and they end up calling those the you know whatever. 10 and 13 or some fraction of those uh versions and then and then separately you have the ipad line which is basically your slower lower featured and cheaper version and that's that's treating them like laptops instead of treating them like iphones where they're currently treated which also means that last year's model is no longer what's for sale for cheap instead it's just the lower product line model that's for sale for cheap yeah, that all makes sense because they've shown that they're willing and able to add features on the high end. And so, I mean, they're already, they've already done it essentially themselves, bifurcating the line. It's not just a naming difference. It's not just a size difference. The iPad Pro is different in fundamental ways mm. from the rest of the line. So as the, I think you can move the pencil all the way down, but the smart connector in particular, the whole idea that you're going to treat this as more of a Microsoft Surface-style system uh, or, or more of a laptop replacement, like that Apple has finally gone there instead of being like, well, some people like to use it and you can use a Bluetooth keyboard and blah, blah. Like, no, there's a connector for it. It's a keyboard. We sell it. Uh, we fully expect you to use this more like a laptop. Eventually, we'll get the OS support there. But like I, like I said, I think the pencils can go all the way down if they want because I don't think pencils are a pro feature. I think they just happen to have started off there. I think mm. they can go all the way down the line. I think they could go all the way down the line to the phones and it would be fine. Um with customers anyway, if not with Apple. But the other things like, oh, we've got tons of RAM and we've got the really high refresh rate for like drawing. You don't need that if you're just going to use like a stylus like on the, you know, Galaxy Note or whatever. Um, and uh, the the smart connector and the keyboard support and whatever else they do. The whole, the whole idea of a high-end product means uh, not just capabilities, but like if we have a choice, uh, you know, the, the regular ones for consumers, we're not going to shove like four gigs of RAM in them because we don't think they need it. But for this one, we are because uh, we want you to be able to run pro-level applications. And then they can start bifurcating the software as well. They get the real benefit from it where why is someone going to buy a $1,000 iPad? Well, what if I told you that there's special applications that only run on the pro line and then people can write software just for the pro line that takes advantage of all these fast memory and uh, fast, faster CPUs and more memory and whatever other capabilities they want to give. Yeah, I um I kind of like the idea of um and I wonder if some of this is just thinking that the iPad doesn't behave like a phone market. It behaves like the tablet market or I mean behaves like the laptop market or the computer market. They've got like longer refresh cycles and all that. So it's like let's name them like we name our laptops. We don't keep last year's MacBook around. We don't we don't do that. Or, well, well, there's that one with the non-retina. Other, right? other than the States one for education, that's just sort of like, don't please don't buy this. But we, you know, schools want it, so we're going to sell it. But you know, the new MacBook Retinas don't come out, and then the old MacBook Retinas are still for sale for slightly cheaper. Like they they don't do that. Instead, they've got well, the MacBook they did that Pro. with the MacBook Airs too, right? No, but the MacBook Air got updated. 
The yeah, MacBook Air I mean, actually got updated, right? Which is weird. And it, but again, but it I got, think it that's got a the price innards thing. bumped a little bit, but like they didn't they didn't go retina with it, which is what they would have done. So they sort of kept that line right. around because they weren't entirely confident in its replacement. Well, it's uh, a, and it's they, a did, transitional, they did bump the innards. It's but. a transitional product here, but yeah, but it's not last year's models. It's this year's model of this thing that's gonna go away. But they did bump it a little bit, right? Whereas the iPhone, it's just sort of like, yeah, it's last year's model. But it's a hundred dollars less, so you could buy it. I feel like that's yeah. what they're trying to do with the iPad is is maybe go in that direction if that rumor is true. The the just say, you know, this is how we're gonna do it, is it's differentiated by product lines and within the product lines there are different sizes, but that's what you get to buy. You can buy the cheaper ones or the or the more expensive ones that are a little bit nicer. Uh, but y- you've got what we've got here and not the one from you know, you can buy the three or the two or the one or whatever. With the mini, it's like you can buy the four or the two. Yeah. But you're thinking they're going to uh, keep uh, two versions of the, what used to be the full-size iPad, one with the smart connector that's called a Pro and one without that's not? I, I mean, it's not in the rumor, but I kind of feel like they've got to have a full... It, I don't understand how you could take the current iPad Air, make a new one, call it and call it an iPad Pro, and not still have an iPad Air or maybe just iPad that's also available because that's that is by all accounts as far as i can tell the mainstream ipad that that is the one it's the classic one and it's probably the best selling one and i feel like you you know why would you make that a pro or not everybody is going to want a pro so it seems like that makes sense to sort of say well the new one is a pro but we're going to keep the old one around maybe it's the air 2 maybe it's the air 1 we're going to keep it around but uh, you know, those are your choices. Is you can get this regular one, or you can get the pro one. Yeah, that makes sense for now, anyway. Yeah, but it's yeah, just was, it's hard to get like there. To see the lines. I would still like to see the lines extend, like the the pro to get more pro-y, and for the low end for them to drive that down. More I agree because they're still kind of hanging on to the idea that like the mini is like, well, the mini is just as good as the yeah. Air Two. Mm-hmm. It's just a smaller size, and it's like. You can make that mini a lot cheaper if you backed off a little bit on yeah. that and just to recognize that it's an actual low-end device. I feel like that's what where they're going with this. It, it, the question is how committed they are to that and how how low do you go, and and that that's the mystery because they you know they haven't done something like this before. I think so, um, but there's room. I mean, observers of the tablet market suggest that. Um, you know, cheaper one of one of Apple's problems is that they rule the the premium tablet market. But there's this huge other tablet market that is uh, not a place that Apple wants to play. So does Apple want to push down there with the iPad? If they've got a Pro line, can they afford then to sort of take the the regular iPad line down a little bit in scope? And maybe they maybe they can. Maybe that's good. Well, see, they didn't do it on the Mac. They never really went, like, super low-end. <laughs> the Mac LC, never mind. Um, yeah. They never went for, like, the, the really low-end. They never made a netbook. They never sure. actually made a Mac that was this cheap, right? But Although with the iPod was... line, they totally did. The iPod line, they said, sure, we'll sell you mm-hmm. a shuffle for 50 bucks. So they tried on the iPod line to go pretty much as low as you can go. I mean, maybe it wasn't $25, but they were selling you an iPod for 50 bucks, for forty nine ninety nine or whatever. They went low-end on the iPod. Mm. Did that, I mean, it was... Didn't I don't think it really helped that much or hurt that much the iPod, but it was an experiment for Apple to say, let's take this product line, the iPod, that we've diversified, and then we can kind of see the growth curve, and it's kind of going away. But you know what? Let's go all the way down, all the way, as low as we can go. How cheaply can Apple make a thing and still call it an Apple device, but really get a price point that's like just a little bit more expensive than an iPod sock? Yeah. It's hard to compete against the uh, six-pack of Amazon tablets, but uh, it's, you know, <laughs> the, but they aren't iPads, well, right? Yeah. So... 
I, it'll be interesting to see if they if they go this this route what what they do um and how and how low they do go um it, yeah yeah we'll see we'll see it's uh, it gives them some room although i would say that yeah apple never made a netbook but they they have experimented in how low they can go like the fact that there is now always a mac laptop available for just under a thousand dollars that's still a premium laptop it is but it, it is but apple didn't used to go down that far with their laptops it used to be yeah, you mean, had to get 1299 yeah. or 1399 to get into a mac laptop at all and oh, now they're, not, it's they're not immune to pc pricing pc pricing has come down so much the average selling prices of computers has just gone yeah you know a graph that's gone so low that they have to be pulled down a little bit so and then you break under the four digit price and that's kind of important and plus really you're going to get argued back up there by your friends telling you to get a mac with more ram anyway sure but that that's the I, I look at that and i think well that that's sort of what this is which is tablets are exerting pressure to come down in price but it's still you know they're not going to go they're not going to go too low they're not going to sell a six pack make the, the, the ipad shuffle with no screen it'd yeah. be really cheap to make super easy uh all right well i want to uh i want to do a sponsor Let's do that, and then uh, and then we'll we'll talk about some topics, and probably have room to talk about pizza at the end because you know that's something. But this uh, episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Casper, online retailer of premium mattresses. You can get it for a fraction of the price that you find in stores. Now the mattress industry, you know, they've got a they've got all sorts of ideas. They got they got sales. There's always a sale. Uh, they got you paying high prices. They've got you laying down on a mattress in their showroom for two minutes and saying, "Well, I, it didn't literally stab me in the back while I was laying on it, so maybe it'll be okay." Uh, but Casper has has done away with all of that. They've revolutionized buying and getting a mattress. They cut out the uh, the resellers in the showrooms. They ship direct to your door in a, sh- a shrink-wrapped package. It's kind of amazing. Uh, and then it's this really interesting mattress, a hybrid of premium latex foam and memory foam. So you get uh, this uh, the sink from the latex foam. It's super comfy. And the support, the bounce from the memory foam, which... Uh, I know it sounds like this strange space age material because it is, but I've been sleeping on one for a year and a half. It just feels like a really good mattress, way better than the trampoline mattress that I had that I bought by laying down on one for two minutes in the mattress superstore. And it comes at a good price. Uh, mattresses can often cost over $1,500. Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin, $750 for a full, $850 for queen, and $950 for a king-sized mattress. All Casper mattresses made in the USA. And best yet, because you're buying a mattress on the internet, you don't get to lay down on it, not even for two minutes. Buying a Casper mattress, completely risk-free, free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. It's that simple. Lay on it for a month or two or three and if you're not satisfied, you can get your money back and Casper will come and take your mattress away. So easy buying experience. It's risk-free. When you buy it, it comes in a box. It's kind of magical. You open it up. It expands to fill the space. Um, I really like mine. And uh, there's even a deal. Listeners of Upgrade can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash upgrade and using the code UPGRADE. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to Casper for supporting Upgrade and all of Relay FM. I just bought some pillows and sheets from Casper that are coming tomorrow. Um, you you excited me with your discussions of uh, of Casper pillows on ATP, so I'm trying those out. It's pretty neat. I like the advancement of pillow technology instead of just being a sack stuffed with stuff. <laughs> stuffed with stuff. Yeah, pillow stuff. 
in yeah, a sack. Now it's multiple sacks, I'm led to believe. I don't know. Anyway, it's cool. Yeah, they got a whole technology thing there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to tr- trying that stuff out. Now that I got the mattress, I figure just let's just go all the way. Let's just all Casper all the time. Uh, okay, so we're going to come back to pizza. I have pizza down as a, as a topic, um, because why not? But uh, I, I thought we would talk about home tech a little bit. This is one of those things where every now and then on um, on ATP, I feel like um, like you're talking to people who don't understand you, and that maybe I'm more um, I'm more like your people than they are in the sense that uh, I like you have like a TV and a uh, i have like a home theater set up and i care about how my tv settings are and you know casey seems to not care if he's watching soap operas uh so i just i thought maybe we would talk a little about tech in our homes especially entertainment stuff because you know you and i are not cable cable cutters we have tivos we have lots of other little boxes and i thought it would be interesting to talk about that a little bit since we have that in common and that a lot of our colleagues like mike is a basically a cord cutter who only watches he he seems to maybe watch a little bit of video on tv now but he basically doesn't understand why a tv exists he would rather just watch tv shows on an ipad so he watches youtube on his phone held two inches from his face yeah well i i get the sense that he's watched all of seinfeld like sitting on a couch with an ipad which as it was meant to be as it was foretold mm-hmm. in yeah. the old times so you you have a you have a tivo romeo right like i do is that right? Yeah, I have the whatever the the fanciest one is. Yep, yep. Me too. Me too. And and I uh, when I hear you talking about this stuff, you you were mentioning Plex on there and how Plex on TiVo does some things and not others. I think the Plex app on TiVo is limited to 720p, which is kind of infuriating. I think I think that's the case. We're on Apple TV. I, I think it might just be the menus that it's limited to, but uh, uh, but I I'm hmm. pretty sure it downmixes everything to stereo, so yeah. it's a non-starter. Yeah. Yeah, I love my TiVo. I, I want to say that it it seems totally passe to um, talk about a TiVo. This is an old product. TiVo's been around since like 2000. It's just a DVR, whatever. I can get one from the cable company. But I really kind of love it. I find I use that. That is my primary device for enter, entertainment on my TV now. Um, I do have the Apple TV and I use it some. But most of the time I'm watching, even when I'm watching streaming, I, most of the time it's coming through TiVo because they've got the Netflix app and the Hulu app and the Amazon app. Um, and so a lot of the time I end up just using the TiVo and the TiVo OS having support for like, this show is on Hulu. Would you like to watch it on Hulu? And it just sort of plays through to the Hulu app. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I, it sort of eliminated a lot of the use cases I used to have for the Apple TV. Yeah, they've been getting better. Like they have a million apps on on TiVo, but most of the time I would not use the TiVo for those things. If I had any other choice, I would use some other box. Uh, but uh, they've been getting better. Like I think you know, it, and the tail end of the previous generation Apple TV, it started to really be unreliable for me. The the old Apple TV used to be my go to Netflix box um, because the TiVo Netflix client was just really slow and took a yeah. long time and would crash sometimes and just you know and the apple tv one was much more slick and nice but eventually just like we learned you know oh let's watch a thing on netflix and you go to the apple tv and get some weird error or the thing doesn't start and eventually i said all right well now it's time for tivo to have a shot and the the tivo netflix app was slow to launch and weird but it would play the show and eventually it started to win and then the tivo netflix app started to get better still not as good as the one on apple tv especially the new apple tv yeah but um 
sometimes you just you know uh, tivos are also our main thing that's like basically our input number one mm-hmm. on the television and the receiver if you're already there sometimes it's just easier to go to the netflix app there than switching inputs and going to the apple tv um but mostly i'm watching recorded shows in the tivo and so that right. covers a lot of my and my children's television watching yeah well i've discovered that although i can i can watch like hbo go and all of that but I, i've got the shows on the dvr so i just watch them on the dvr and likewise i've got hulu so i can watch shows on hulu but i've got i recorded them i i, I end up watching them recorded and they tivo is up their game on the software side a little bit like the the apps like t like uh the netflix app and the hulu app are better but they've also they added the integration where it knows those episodes are streaming and there's a shortcut to take you to the streaming app it'll launch the app it'll take you to that episode in that app so i'm impressed by that and then on the live tv stuff they added the uh oh oh that's only in certain markets though that's like in in san francisco you don't have the d button yet do you oh for skipping commercials yeah no, we've got that. Do you have that feature where you get to the... Yeah, I think they, I think they rolled that out to have everybody. They, have they rolled it. that out to everyone now? Um, that's so great. So so when it gets to the end of a, uh, of a part of the show and it goes into the commercial break, a little thing comes up that says, press the press D to skip all the commercials. And it's for supposedly it's like in primetime-ish for the top like 20 most watched channels because they've got to have like a sweatshop somewhere where people are just like putting in the time codes of all the commercial breaks. And if you watch a show right when it's on, it's not there. But like an hour or two later, the skip information gets put in. Um, but that's such a great feature because you can, you know, you can watch the commercials if you want to, and you can skip them if you want to, you, whether you, I know you were a big 30 second skip guy and I kind of went back and forth between, you know, ba-doop, 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 or just 30 second skip. But now you just press the the button and it just jumps over all the commercials. And that's a great feature too. Yeah. It means people without my amazing 30 second skipping skills can successfully skip commercials. Even a child. So easy. Even a child can even do it. Like ch- my son controlled the child. remote the other day and he just pressed the D button when the thing comes up and it says skip. Of course, like this is leading to their UI having, you know, I don't know what the, oh, yeah. their UI is thinking. Like how many badges can you fit at the end of a thing? Like oh, they've already God. got the HD one and then now we have the skip one. As soon there's not going to be any room left for the title. There's going to be a series of badges and then like a, a colored dot. Well, also, how many things can they overlay on the picture? Because you you have when yeah, when it goes yeah, to commercial, it, says, it, it puts the skip. skip to D, and then and then it's got that other stupid feature, which is like smart speed, sort of an, an overcast, yep. where it's like watch yep. the show but slightly faster. Which no, I don't no. understand that at all. I don't know why anyone would yeah, want to watch a lot, that. A lot of TV to get through. They really need to, to go faster. Yeah, I've got an adv- advice for them. Just watch, take take a bad show that you don't like and don't watch it. And yeah, that's how you save time. watch them all at the right speed instead of at this weird compressed like it's like those movies where they would um what was it was it in England that they they did this the the standards conversion thing where rather than like converting the frames they would just play it faster or maybe it was taking movies and playing them on TV and you play them too fast but it's that same idea it's like why are these people moving strangely fast and the answer mm. was because we just, just didn't want to worry about the frame rate we just played it at the new frame rate it's not a good idea don't do that but tivo's got it there and, and every time you press the play button it brings up the thing that says did you know that if you press this button now everybody will talk a little bit faster and it'll be really annoying yeah i know that tivo i don't care yeah the, the main problem the tivo apps still have is they all suffer in comparison to the native tivo watching recorded television interface sure. so for example like, I've I just finished watching the first season of Man in the High Castle, and I watched it through my TiVo on the Amazon thing. And every time you launch the Amazon app, uh, there's no commercials in it. Uh, 
But there is a one minute and 20 second credit sequence that I would love to skip. Right. There is no D button to skip it. There is no 30 second skip. You no. can skip it, but the, it doesn't work the same way as the regular TiVo timeline works. You have to essentially fast forward, you know, 2X, right. 4X, whatever. Because like, these are all these opera, just, they're basically HTML apps. They're like opera web apps. So the UI is totally unlike anywhere else in the TiVo when you're in those apps. And it's not as good. It's not as responsive. No, it's not. Whereas on, on the Apple TV, even though the apps all seem to vary a lot, all of them have a fairly responsive scrubber that responds to the swiping of your thumb. And most of them seem to respond to the 10 second forward skip thing yeah. in a similar level of responsiveness. Whereas the TiVo, it's like it's clear. Am I using the real TiVo or am I using one of those weird apps? And the weird app ones uh, just are much more delicate and you, gotta, you can't really perturb them because you might be seeing some spinners and you might not know what you're skipping to and from and you might have to wait a while to catch up. You know, the real um, the real horror is I have a uh, I, I have a 4K TV, which, you know, it was it was cheap and my TV. So listening to you and knowing we're in this era, as you talk about on ATP a lot, where the plasmas are gone but the the new wonderful TVs aren't here yet. My TV died. And I was like, God. I was hoping it would hang on, but it just, it died. It like fried. She's gone to stasis for five years. I know. Exactly. Just don't not watch TV for a while. Be like Mike. Just watch things on my iPad for a while. Um, I mean, like uh, like Fry in Futurama, like going to the stick, going to yeah, stasis. A tube. Just, one of those little things, freeze you, you wake up, it'll be five years later. Yeah, President Trump? What? Uh, but give me a TV and I'll be fine. So, um... So I went to Costco and I bought a Costco TV. And this was my strategy was not basically I'm not going to pay too much for this muffler. <laughs> that was my strategy. It's like, look, I just want a TV. I don't care if it only lasts a few years. I don't care. I just want to I just want to have a TV until I can one day buy a really good new TV that's going to be fancy and let me see in all the colors that I can't see because I'm colorblind. <laughs> so what did you get a Vizio? I got a Vizio 4K. Uh, that was decently reviewed. I was stood there. I did the thing where you stand in the middle of the TV department at Costco and look and look up reviews <laughs> on your phone. And there was a Samsung TV that was about the same cost that was that was rated similarly. And then there was this Vizio one. And it was a 4K TV. And I thought, well, that's got more Ks, so I'm gonna get that. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's not bad. I I have a couple other. I have bought a couple other Vizio TVs at Costco. And I what I would say about them is, um. Vizio TVs have gotten a lot better since the first one I bought. <laughs> I would say that. Wow. Uh, so much better. And they're cheap. And for like, I, I've got a TV out here in the garage that gets used rarely, but it does get used. And that it's a good, it's a good use for it. But for the main TV, so I got this 4K TV and it looks pretty good. And the UI isn't fantastic, but um, it was, uh, the price was right and it looks pretty good. And it's got this 4K. So it's like, okay, 4K. What can I do with that? Is that anything? Can I can I even discern the difference in quality? But the 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 thing about it is, how do you get 4K content onto a 4K TV? Right now, you could buy. I guess Amazon has a 4K Fire TV you can get now. But when I bought this TV, that wasn't out yet. The answer is Netflix and Amazon's apps that are built into the TV support 4K streams. So sometimes I watch Amazon and Netflix content. Not on my TiVo or my Apple TV, but on like an animal on the TV app on the TV set itself. 
<laughs> yeah, like you should do the math on for the viewing distance, and I'm pretty uh-huh. sure that you're not getting any benefit from the yeah. resolution. You may be getting a benefit from the wider color range or or the uh, more flexible frame rates, depending on how the stuff is created. Yeah. But you're probably getting stuff subtracted by the massive compression that those streaming services so, are using. So, oh, overall, it's probably about a wash, but you might get better. Uh, and the other problem is like the, the the slightly wider color ranges that are supported by the 4K televisions. Uh, the content may not be mastered that way, so it, right. it may not be helping you. And the other thing is, even if it is, and even if they send it that way, the television that you bought at Costco may not be able to even display that exactly. whole Exactly. So it's probably a wash, but it's probably not hurting you too much. And that is, of the two possible viable strategies for buying TVs, now you picked one. One is get the cheapest television you possibly can. You didn't even do that because you got a 4K. It would have been better if you just yeah. got a cheap, a much well, cheaper 10 I wanted to, Yeah, it, I wanted to be good. Well, that was the thing is I almost got the Samsung, which was basically within $100 of the price and was not a 4K TV, but was, uh, you know, well-reviewed and was in the was in the ballpark. But it was that, like, I want it to be good enough that I feel like I'm going to enjoy watching this TV, and it's this is not a long-term investment. Just, like, get me through until there are better TVs. But, although, I got to say, having bought these three TVs over the course of the last, whatever, six years, um, they are a lot better than they used to be. Like, that first Vizio TV that I bought was so bad. Like, the black levels on it were so awful. And it, it, even the L, the just the LCD TVs have come a long way. Um, but about the 4K, my thought... And I haven't tested this, and I actually haven't even looked up. It may, may or may not be true. It's very hard for me to test this. Like, a, do A-B testing of this. Because the amount of time it takes for me to switch from, like, Daredevil here to Daredevil there and compare the 4K, you just kind of can't do it. My thought is that the 4K stream is probably a higher bitrate than the 1080 stream, that you know 2160 stream. It's probably seeking to a higher bitrate. Basically, the way Netflix works, you know, it's scaling based on how much it can get across the pipe, and you might get something that starts in 480 and then goes up to 720 and then goes up to 1080. And if you're watching on a 4K TV, it will then keep going and it will go up to 2160. And so my thought was, well, maybe what what I'm getting here is a better quality picture because it's able to, um, you know, the 4K stream is a higher resolution, but also even though it's heavily compressed, more bitrate than the standard 1080 stream. That could also be totally fiction. Because it's very hard for me to tell. I, I cannot say surely that I'm absolutely seeing 4K level of detail on this. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I totally see the 2080. No, 2180. No, it's it's not. No, I, I can't say that. I think it may be a placebo. But my hope is that it looks better in general. I don't know. Yeah, and you still haven't had a television with decent black levels in your house. I know you, you the LCDs have gotten better, but it's kind of a good no. thing that you've never seen what these shows are no, actually supposed to look yeah, like, but that's including not, on your Macs, that's, by the way, because the Macs true. don't have great black levels either. That that's not true, though, because um, uh, I think you know this, that I, I the land of the forbidden television fruit is is Arizona, where when my parents, <laughs> well, when my parents, parents moved into their know. house five years ago, they bought two huge, beautiful Panasonic plasmas. And... I was down there the other week and I was, uh, it was when the expanse was on and I decided I was going to watch the expanse when I was down there rather than waiting. And I told Lauren, you know, go ahead and watch the expanse and, and, uh, I'm going to watch it down here. And when I get back, we'll compare notes about it. And I watched that and that's a space show. So there's a lot of black, like outer space stuff in it. And I watched it on that huge, like, I don't even know what it is. 70 inch plasma in my, in my mom's living room. 
oh my God, <laughs> right? It's just like, so I've seen, I, you know, I've had a few years to know what the black levels look like on a TV. Uh, you should, like, should never have looked. And they're, they're even more impressive on OLEDs, of course. <laughs> sure. I should never, I should avert my eyes whenever I go down there. It's a beautiful TV. Yeah. I told my mom if she ever decides to move to a smaller house, I would like to take <laughs> that plasma. It's, it's not going to fit in your entertainment center. You're going to have to tear down that whole side of the room. And I will. <laughs> and instead there will be a giant TV that's erected on a wall and it will be good. I don't know. It's uh it's funny. I'm happy with the the TV we got. Um whether the 4K is a real thing or not. Um it looks it looks good. It looks better than the TV we had. And uh you know, that's that's good enough for now. I I what I find funny talking about giant TVs is every time I shop for a TV, I, I say, no, no, it's got to be bigger than the last one. Cause the last one wasn't that big. It's like that old Steve Martin routine. Do you remember that? Where it's like, I got, st- I got mono and then I got stereo and the mono sounded like, sounded terrible. So then I got quadraphonic. Then that sounded, you know, made the stereo sound terrible. And then I got like Google phonic where I have a thousand speakers, but now it sounds terrible too. I feel like that with TVs. Like I keep saying, no, 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 it needs to be a bigger TV. Oh no, 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 no. This one will be a little bit bigger. This one will fit in the entertainment center. Um, so next time I'm going to get one that sort of sticks out the sides, but it'll still fit on the mm-hmm. base. So it'll be fine. And I still have that now where I got the, I, so I got this TV that's several inches diagonal bigger than the last one. And now I look at it and go, eh, it could be bigger. Could be bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the TV manufacturers do that for you uh, because, it, it, like, when I bought my big TV, which is not even that big, the smallest size it came in was 55. That was oh. the smallest. And that was, like, so much bigger than any television I'd ever had before. I'm just waiting until the small size you can get is 65. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go there, but the minimum size for the good TVs is going up and up. And it's at the point now where you can't even buy small televisions. Like, if yeah. you want to get, like, we wanted to get a television for our bedroom that was smaller but not crap. It was impossible. It was like, yeah. I don't want a 55-inch television in my bedroom. Can you have a small TV that doesn't look like crap? And the answer is no, we don't make those. Things. I recommend the iPad. <laughs> Again, we'll go back to the mic no, The iPad is not a good TV. No, I agree. I agree it's not. Mike, Mike will disagree with that. But no, it's hard. You... I mean, just, just display-wise, just like it, it is, it does not perform well as a television, ignoring the fact of the size and how close mm-hmm. you Because I do watch, I watch things on the iPad, like not, you know, things that I care about too much, but like re-watching <laughs> sure. old television shows or whatever. I do watch them on the iPad and it's fine, but by no means is this a good television. Yeah. I, I looked at the small TVs at when I was at Costco um, and I was kind of aghast because, yeah, there's below a certain point you're like in novelty TVs. Where it's like, I guess you could have a tiny TV, um, but it's also a microwave and has an FM radio. Like, yeah, it's like a kitchen TV in it. It's like you can make it look good. Like, it's still going to be cheap, but you just put a decent size. But they, you know, it's not the way no. the economies of scale work. I guess like they have the lines that are making these television. They have to make them a certain size to make their money back, and they don't want to sell you one for two hundred bucks right. that's forty inches or thirty inches. Yeah, and that that's now a small TV. That's the funny thing. Forty inch TV, yeah, a little shrimpy. Could do, uh, could do more. Well, uh, I've got some more stuff to talk about, but uh, I would like to take a break, I think, maybe now. It's a good time to uh, t- tell you about something else that's cool, as Casey Liss might say. Uh, this episode of Upgrade brought to you by Squarespace. Yes, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you will get 10% off of your first purchase. Squarespace has easy-to-use tools and templates that let you capture every detail of what drives you. If it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world and 
Squarespace's easy tools will get your web page or website up and running in no time. You've got all the power you need. It's right there in your hands. They take away all the painful stuff like worrying about hosting, scaling, what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. That's because it is professionally designed. The templates that you get to use are responsive. They work great on phones. They work great on tablets and on computers on the desktop or laptops. And uh, and they are made by beautiful designers. The designers are beautiful and their designs are beautiful. In fact, it's all beautiful at Squarespace. They have state-of-the-art technology to power your site. You can uh, your, your site will be secure. It will be stable. It's trusted by millions of different users. Some of the most respected brands in the world use Squarespace. Like I said, the templates are beautiful. But also, if you need help with the templates or setting up your site, there's live 24-7 support with chat and email. Teams are located all across the globe who are there to help you. And Squarespace comes with its own commerce platform. That means if you want to sell something on the internet, you can just add a store to your Squarespace site and boom, you're selling things on the internet. It's not extra. It's just part of Squarespace. The commerce platform is built right in. And if all you want is something super simple, like a single page because you've got an event or uh, you want to tell people about yourself and how awesome you are, you can build something called the cover page. It's a single page website that looks fantastic and there are a whole bunch of amazing templates that you can use to build those too their hosting is great the squarespace sites stay up just endlessly they're not gonna they're not gonna come up and down they are rock solid and fast and if you want to stretch squarespace even further yes they have a developer platform you do not have to just take the templates that are although they're beautiful that squarespace gives you you can dig into the code you can tinker to your heart's desire with your squarespace site And to top it all off, if you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you will get a free domain name allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just the mind-boggling price, $8 a month. So start a trial. You don't need to put down your credit card to start a Squarespace trial. You can start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, Make sure you use the offer code UPGRADE. You'll get 10% off your first purchase, and you will show your support for UPGRADE. Thank you to Squarespace for their support of UPGRADE and all of Relay FM. Um, I, I feel like it's a miracle that I didn't at any point call them Squarespace in that ad, John, because that's uh, what the guys at the Flophouse do. It's their own fault for having a confusing enough name to confuse Dan McCoy. <laughs> Lots of simple words confuse Dan McCoy, mm-hmm, though. Mm-hmm. So... Yes, we should. Uh, I, I loved. I, I will say this is a little follow out too. I loved uh, you and Merlin talking about uh, Flophouse on Reconcilable Differences, which is a great podcast. That Reconcilable Differences is the podcast that I think, man, I don't get to talk about any of this stuff on any of the podcasts I do, and I do a lot of podcasts, but they're all about. You just gotta. Stuff. Ma- you just gotta keep making up podcasts until every single thought that enters your head has an outlet in a podcast. I can't. Well, you would think that I would have already had all of those things, right? You think I would have covered it, but I haven't because I all my podcasts are sort of about stuff. And, and reconcilable differences is not about that stuff. It's just about like life. It's like like um, like Mike and Casey do on Analog. It's just about like feelings and growing up and being a parent and stuff like that. So it's a great podcast. People should listen to it. But you guys did talk about Flophouse, and I thought it was really endearing that the first time you just assumed that everybody knew that you were huge super fans of the Flophouse, and so you gave it a little tough love about like the sound quality problems and all that. And Merlin referred, referred to it as like that weird show. And then the guys who did the flop house that heard wasn't that. tough love. We were explaining why we loved it. it I just know. didn't sound like it, but we were. Well, yeah, but you know, fans sort of like can talk. It, it's like talking to a member of your family. It's like you don't, you don't, you don't protect them quite as much. I think you're like, yeah, you know, 
the, I love the flop house. Of course, you know, I love it. So when I tell you that it's got all these terrible technical problems, I'm saying it with love, right? But I felt like maybe that got lost in translation a little bit where they're like, you know, I think Dan McCoy is a little who, who edits the episodes and, and sets up and is the recording studio and he's the designated technical guy. I think he, he is still bugged by the fact that they are, are riddled with technical problems when they record that podcast. Wow. So you guys so came back com- the next it is time. It's a comedy show. Yeah, it yeah. is a comedy show. It's not a, it's not a well, tech podcast. They're not tech experts. They're comedians. Well, so what we get, in a comedy show, though, they can be laughing with you or they can be laughing at you. But in both cases, they're laughing. So success. Yeah. Exactly. But two weeks later, you had to come back and explain your love again for the Flophouse. Which I thought that was uh, I thought that was sweet. Our friend uh, our friend Steve Lutz from the Incomparable um, took your advice ultimately and listened to the Flophouse from the beginning, and it says that he likes it now. He's like in episode sixty or something. Yeah, and he tried to say that listening from the beginning was a mistake, but now he has done it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's an important it's an important thing to have done. Like puberty is probably a mistake too, but you're glad to have done it. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm just gonna let that let that go. I mean, consider the alternative. Exactly. That's right. Would you want to stay 11 forever? Peter Pan? I don't think so. Uh, The other thing I want to talk to you about is about uh, the future of the Mac. You know, we could go on forever about it, and I don't want to do that, but I I think it's worth at least touching on. I I was thinking of you when I read that blog post about uh, the WWDC wish list from Steve Trotton Smith, who uh, I mentioned this last week, I think, on Upgrade used the phrase OS 10 is a dead platform. Um, and I just was interested in what you thought about sort of overall, you know, where is the Mac today and where, where can it go from here? Where, where should it go from here? Where will it go from here? If it goes anywhere, because Steve Trotton Smith's point is sort of like all the OS 10 advancements in the last few years have been sort of keeping it in sync with, with mobile. And, uh, that's not, uh, particularly exciting. And then you see sort of like the Mac app store being kind of rotting on the vine. And there's a real question about like, is the Mac done? Are we just sort of like, it's not like we can't keep using it, but is there more to be done there? Or is it just this thing that's going to sit there and be what it is uh, for the rest of its life? It doesn't have, does it have more change in it? Or is this sort of all that it will ever be? And, you know, you and I have been using the Mac for, uh, since time immemorial. So I thought I would ask you, what do you think about that? There's always more to be done on the Mac. Like you can always make it better. There are plenty of things wrong with it where it can be better. But in terms of the future of the platform, out, uh, you know, outside any sort of artificial constraint where Apple could decide to do, of course, whatever it wants to do, but outside of anything like that, it's not dead until something kills it. In other words, if there are if there are things that you can either only do on a Mac or do much more easily on the Mac, that means that the other platforms have a ways to go before they prove that the Mac is a dead platform. It's not as if just because there is a new platform and a new way of doing things that is better in some ways uh, that you should ditch the other one. So again, Apple could decide to ditch the other one to sort of force the issue, but we all know right now that there are certain classes of things that are either only possible on the Mac or so much easier on the Mac that if we were forced not to use the Mac to do them, it would be a handicap. And no one wants to make themselves less efficient or less capable to sort of uh, prove a point. So um, it's up to the other platforms, whether it's iOS or any other platform from any other company, to show that the old way of doing things with personal computers is uh, not valid. And I think we all know, technologically speaking, however you might want to describe it, their attributes to 
what we currently know as personal computing that will surely live on regardless of what mm. the future is. If the future is all, you know, iOS type devices or tablets or whatever, as we can see tablets like the Microsoft Surface and the iPad Pro and stuff sprouting keyboards, that's kind of a confirmation that regardless of the future, surely there will be a role for something like a keyboard in the future of computing. Does that mean that the Mac will live forever? No, but it does mean that, hey, that whole idea from the PC world of having a keyboard that you type on, that's probably a keeper. Like maybe, you know, that's there's still has some life in it. Uh, maybe it goes away entirely when we have thought control or whatever. But for now, <laughs> no matter what the future of the platform is, keyboards are good. Mouse, indirect pointing device. Touch is, is good. Touch is much better for tons more things than the mouse is. Pen input is also good. Mouse is also still pr- pretty good, too. It's a precise pointing device. You can use it on large screens or whatever. I think uh, the jury's kind of still out on it. But in general, right now, uh, you're not going to get rid of the mouse until something can do everything the mouse can do better. Oh, I don't need the mouse anymore because X. And so far, the answer to X has been because I have a finger or a stylus, and that's not really, you know, they, they don't do all the same things, right? So it's you don't want to tie up, like, the Mac as a particular platform and OS ten as a particular OS with, with all the technology. So I, I just look for, uh, I just look at the capabilities and say, if I didn't have a Mac, what would I use to do these same things? And would it be just as good or better? Because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for just as good or better. You're looking for progress. Um, you, it's not just going to switch over entirely. And, and the, the wrinkle in that is that the Mac does continue to get better. It can, how can the Mac get better? It can get more stable. God knows it can, you know, more, more reliable, not crashing less, but it can do its job uh, more predictably. It can get faster. It can always get faster. It can get m- <laughs> more capabilities that it's po- capabilities that are, that it can have that other devices can't for right now. Still, uh, the Mac has a higher power envelope than than its competing devices, whether they be laptops or iOS devices, which means you can put bigger, hotter things in there, which means you can have better graphics for games and uh, faster CPUs. Not much better graphics for games, not much faster CPUs, but still, it's ahead. Uh, when that all evens out and basically the fastest processor you can get in the entire world fits into a phone's power envelope, that will be another strike against the Mac. But then you still got the ergonomic issues in terms of how big of a screen can I put on it? Do I have to hold the screen? Do I have to carry it around with me? Does it have a big keyboard? What about a uh, precise input with the pointing device? Do, uh, besides the stylus and a finger, can I use a mouse? Um, so I'm not particularly worried because it seems like Apple has its head on its shoulders about not sort of artificially deeming the this to be the end of the road for the Mac. And from now on, they're just going to make iOS devices because uh, I think they know if that happened, then everybody who currently uses a Mac would not be uh, their needs would not be as well filled by other devices that Apple sells. And they would go buy something from some other manufacturer. And Apple's like, no, you can keep styling a Mac. We'll keep making them. You keep buying them until we ourselves, Apple, come up with something that is better than the Mac in all ways or or at least as good or better in all ways. We'll keep making and selling Macs. And that's a smart decision by Apple. And that's why OS X is currently not a dead platform. My concern, though, is that um, I was thinking about this when I was writing my review of the iPad Pro, that my concern is that the Mac is is becoming a it, – it, that, that it's limited in how much it can change, not just because it's a mature platform, but because it represents stability in a world of change. And this is an imperfect metaphor, but, you know, I feel like sometimes the Mac is like CBS – where um, there are there are like way more cutting edge TV shows on cable 
Um, and CBS could try to put on a show that was a cutting edge show like you'd find on cable. And it's, it's viewers would reject those shows because they don't want that. They want the comfort, comfort of the thing they've come to understand as a TV show, which is CBS. Now CBS is profitable and it's, and it's, and it's healthy and it's a very successful business, but they are also uh, trapped in their success in the sense that, you know, they are not going to push the envelope forward. The rest of the industry is doing that in various pockets, but their, their audience loves them because they are what they are. And that's, it's not a perfect metaphor, but that's my concern about the Mac is that you can't radically rethink what the Mac is because they're already radically rethinking computing with iOS. The Mac is more like for people who prefer a computer, like we had in the old days, the Mac will always be here, which I think is a good thing as somebody who's been a Mac user for 20 plus years. But it does sort of make you ask the question, is there something it can do that's new or is it all just sort of, you know, it could be faster, it could be more stable, it could just keep doing the stuff that it's already doing, just do it a little bit better. I think you're underestimating the flexibility of uh, people who use personal computers or Macs to get their jobs done. Um, if you just think of, I, mean, I mentioned before, the idea that Apple would say, you know, uh, Mac OS X is going to be the foundation for the Mac platform for the next 15 years. I think that Mac users today would absolutely accept another Mac OS X style discontinuity in the operating system, which if you think about hmm. it, discontinuity between what we know as classic Mac OS and OS X was tremendous. I mean, they were yeah. the same OS barely in name only. Like the old OS ran in a little emulation layer until Apple could ditch it. And eventually it transitioned everything to essentially the next APIs and, and a new language. And it was just like, it was an amazing transition. They made it, but like, what does OS X have in common with the Mac now? So little if you were an old school Mac user. Yeah. They kept like, the Apple the spirit in the, is there. They kept the Apple in the like, Apple menu, but that's only when we complained about it. It wasn't actually originally even even there in that. Yeah, yeah. and and some QuickTime APIs and yeah. some file system APIs and lots of stuff from Carbon that's hanging around. But a lot of that stuff is slowly deprecated. But like really, like technologically speaking, interface paradigm. It was just you know and. It was the type of thing, okay, maybe Mac users back then were more willing to accept it because it was like, look, it's either this or the company goes out of business and we were missing some major new features. But for the most part, uh, even diehard classic Mac OS users were like, this is cool. Like when OS X came out. Yeah. Like this, this, I don't, you know, maybe I want my classic Apple menu back or whatever, but the dock is cool. The window system is cool. The, the whole sort of, uh, some of it people might say it's just fashion or whatever, but it wasn't. It was like, we're rethinking what a personal computer interface should be look should look like we're changing the standard that basically all, i always described it to people as like a movie computer like you know how you see those computers in movies that look ridiculous because some graphic designer comes up with an interface well apple built that like this is a real yeah. thing it's a real working interface where you know everything is double buffered and things magnify under your mouse cursor and everything is photorealistic and and zooming and and squishing and doing like you know kind of like the iphone was like a movie interface too of like things sliding around a touch interface that no one had ever seen before uh and yeah there was consternation from classic mac users but in the end we were like okay apple show us the way if this is the future of personal computing let's go with that and it has been what how many years now 15 years more or less i'm not saying apple needs to radically uh overhaul os 10 in that way they have been slowly evolving it if you were compare you know the os 10 today to 10.0 you would think that they're also very different operating systems, but uh, an interface paradigm shift in the next five years where they rethink the whole idea of the dock and the finder and the menu bar and all other stuff, like, 
Maybe, or or like you said, maybe they just decide this is a stability thing and we'll just keep it until we can replace it. But they have to do one of those. They have to say, they have to increase the capabilities of the iOS line until we can all do our jobs better or at least as well in that interface paradigm, which is, you know, forgetting input device, just in terms of uh, are there files and folders and a dock and a bunch of windows or something else? Like we either need to advance those capabilities or they need to keep evolving the Mac as they have been. Um, and don't underestimate the the impact you can have on things. Oh, just make it faster. Just make it more stable. Like hmm. there is a step change in a lot of those things. What does faster or more stable mean? Uh, to, you could pick two different directions, right? So let's take the Mac and say, say Apple decides what's going to differentiate the Mac is going to be reliability. And all they do for the next five to 10 years is just make it like bulletproof, like, you know, industrial grade sort of, uh, you know, the, the most reliable thing you can imagine that just squash every ounce of every bug, every cosmetic glitch, everything that doesn't work how it's supposed to, and it just works. And in comparison to our phones and iPads that are rapidly evolving, those will seem like pieces of crap and will be like the Mac will become like the mainframe of the world where it's like it always does exactly what it's supposed to do. They've removed as many bugs as they possibly can. Uh, Server side thing would probably be Achilles heels to this. But anyway, this would be one way to differentiate the Mac would be uh, like, is it going to be just that stable thing? Then it damn well better be stable. And I will accept that it is not evolving at a rapid rate if I know that you know that this is this is the rock this is the foundation this is the boring stable thing or they could go in the other direction and say let's take advantage of our higher power envelope and just make everything lightning fast let's make ios devices look like the slow crappy ram starve things that they are and let's find ways to accelerate the mac taking advantage of the technologies that we have here to try to make the mac just feel and act so much more responsive and whatever whatever it is that is currently time consuming on the mac make it faster whether that's storage or you know uh, uh, some sort of like encoding tasks or graphics driven things where you don't have the power envelope to do it on the phone uh that's probably a tougher sell because uh it's the, the uh personal computers are getting faster much slower than other devices are because other devices are creeping up on them like so it's, it's harder to get more performance at the top end but the highest end performance that you can fit in a phone keeps going up and up and up. So anyway, those are two possible directions to make the Mac, to differentiate the Mac as a platform, as opposed to simply sort of saying, well, it's going to be like it was kind of going along at the similar rate that it was, but, you know, not really taking advantage of the fact that it isn't the, the, the tip of the spear anymore. I, my, I, uh, I like the idea of refining what we have and making it that better, that much better and, and using what traits the Mac already has that are its assets, um, and using those to its advantage. I think that's great. I think in terms of doing another radical rethink, I, I guess that's sort of my point is I feel like Apple doesn't have it in them to do that because where, where they're exploring and where they're doing new things, the energy is all being poured into iOS for that. And that it feels to me like even if Apple wanted to give the Mac a radical rethink, uh, I don't think they, they would, uh, because they don't have the energy for it. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure the audience wants it either though. I mean, if you look at what Microsoft did with rethinking windows, you know, there were several years of real pain where essentially the, their market rejected them and Windows sort of, they had to back off of a lot of their attempts because the people who use Windows, which are not Mac users, they're a very different audience, but still, they said, no, 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 we don't want that. We just want Windows. We just want what we what we know. And I think that there's some aspect of that in the Mac world, too, 
plus, yeah, the sheer number of of iPhone users out there and the value the iPhone has for Apple as a company. If you're going to innovate and if you're going to try lots of crazy new things, you know, the iPhone seems like the place that you want to pour all of your energy. It is your younger operating system. It is where there's the most action. It seems like the logical place to do it. Well, so the Windows 8 thing, like, when you're going to make a radical change to your uh, most popular platform, which the Mac was at the time OS X came out, it was Apple's uh, primary platform, uh, you have to have two things. One, you have to have the resolve that Apple has shown they have and Microsoft has not shown they have, like sort of the courage of your convictions to stick it out, because it's not like people didn't complain about OS X in the early days. I was one of them. Like, there was a lot of pushback from traditional Mac users, a lot of it, right? And Apple... Listen to some of it a little bit, but in the end, just kept plowing through. And the other important thing that you need to have that Microsoft probably didn't have is you kind of got to be right, or at least writer, mm-hmm. right? You know, it has to it yeah. has to actually yeah. be better in the long run. And it's debatable whether it was in Microsoft's case. Certainly, they didn't have the courage of their convictions. They backpedaled real mm-hmm. fast and real hard and tried to come up with this compromise thing. And maybe they end up in a better place for them, or maybe they were just on the wrong track you know it's it's so hard to tell because you can't sort of a b test the two different timelines uh although i'm not sure how that works in uh, the man in the high castle because i never read that story and i'm only done through season one but anyway as far as i know you can't a b test the timelines to see how things turn out um so i think the microsoft is kind of a cautionary tale but i i think i have more faith in apple to do both of those things well to both have a better answer and also mm. to to stick it out and power through and to realize that the customers will be there on the other side. And they might be different customers, but that's fine. If you had to guess, where do you think the Mac will go in the next, like, three years? What do you, what direction do you think they will take? I think uh, it's conceivable in the short term that they do another branding-related thing uh, tied to, I, I don't know what they're going to tie to, but, like, you can, like, how long do you keep calling it OS ten? When iOS gets to ten, do you decide that you need to flip it's it? Time for, for Mac OS. Reasons? Time for Mac oh, OS. Obviously, yeah, I know. Yeah. Other than that, other uh, because if they do, that, maybe they could drop the X then too. I mean, that's just yeah. silly uniformity. But I'm, but I'm thinking like aesthetically uh, more. Like they did do sort of an iOS seven style revive in Yosemite, but still, it you know I don't know. I I, I think there's a room for a lot of apparent quote-unquote big changes that really aren't big changes they're mostly like changes in marketing and how it's branded and trying to present tvos ios and mac os with the lowercase letter in the beginning all as this family of operating systems as if it's some new thing as if they haven't all been darwin under the covers forever and all the other stuff right um so there's a place for that but i think that's not really going to be significant for users um and then which direction are they choosing? Like, it doesn't seem like they are really doubling down on stability. It seems like they still feel like every other year or so they have to do something to the Mac that they have features to tout or whatever. But I really hope they reconsider that. And, uh, you know, because there's not if there isn't anything big on the horizon, right, besides the little lowercasing the M and maybe <laughs> dropping the X and stuff. If there isn't anything big on the horizon, then please do double down on the stability and bug fixing. Like, we can go yeah. three, four years without saying, now you can, you know, mark up things in the whatever application. Like, just, you have a lot of features there. Make all of them work. Uh, and the, your current customers who like Macs will like them even more. And that is a that is probably the the safest strategy for the Mac. If you don't have any great ideas for a mac os 10 style revolution in the next five to six years and it just seems to me that apple has its fingers in a lot of pies or whatever the phrase is these days 
that uh and the mac volume the mac just doesn't sell in the volumes i think it does that they have their hands full just making the mac the best mac it can be and hurry up with these other platforms that you hope will eventually cannibalize the mac because you have to make them a lot better before they can do you think the mac needs a yearly marketing operating system update to hang its hat on or is that not necessary uh, it's probably fine is like you can do that every year have a new product and a new name but stop with the expectation that you're going to have a bunch of feature bullet points like just make it more like like when you know in the car industry where the you know the honda accord will go through a, a redesign and then it'll be several years in which it's basically the same accord they just changed the front fascia the, the the plastic trim sure maybe some of the options available like but it's the same car and then they have the generational turnover and, and they sell the same honda accord for many many years not just one or two years right mm-hmm. so uh they could do that with the mac have a yearly release but make it clear i don't know how they make it clear with the marketing purpose or that we understand that from year to year don't expect like is this the new generation of the mac no it's just another revision of the current generation uh, of, of the Mac operating system. And so that will give them breathing worm while still giving them something to say about the Mac on stage every year at WWDC. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, Wikipedia page for the Honda Civic and realized that I had a uh, I had a fifth generation Honda Civic, I think. Or maybe it was a sixth generation. And now I'm driving an eighth generation Honda Civic. But they, But it's the same thing where they've gone through like 10 different generations of Honda Civic, but they keep them around for like four or five years. Yep. I mean, that's what the car industry does because the investment costs of a particular platform are so huge. Even if it's just a mild evolution of the previous platform that you need to recoup those costs, you want to sell it for several years. And like they make cosmetic changes every year, small cosmetic changes, small trim level changes, fixing a component with replacing a component with a more reliable one when they realize, you know, what maybe. But in general, uh, you're not getting the next generation car for several years. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that um, they're welcome to call it a new name every year, but our expectations should probably change and they should not worry about like, we've got 300 new features and we did this, we did that. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I mean, we rely, there's so many people who rely on the Mac. I don't know if the Mac needs to, you know, make news. I think it just needs to be good and keep getting better. And it can make news by by being better and more reliable like it, uh, the the most compelling word of mouth especially since they're not selling them anymore like you know for money but the most compelling word of mouth thing you can hear is there's a new version of the mac operating system i installed it and problems x y and z that i used to have went away that is a feature yeah. that if you heard someone say that like oh you have to get this one because the previous one i had all sorts of problems and i installed the new one and those problems hey, went away you know one and of no the- one asks you okay well fine but what new features does it have it's like that that's a feature one of the banner features of el capitan i think is the fact that on slow internet connections mail actually will check your mail instead of trying to sync like 20 imat mailboxes and that was a feature that they that they trumpeted that they went out of their way to tell me is hey it turns out that when you're on airplane Wi-Fi, uh, Apple Mail was really inefficient. And as somebody who'd been on a bunch of cruises, I was already aware of this. <laughs> and uh, but that was a great feature, and that was that was a fix to Mail to make it not behave badly when you don't have a super fast connection. And you know what? That's a great feature, even though it is just a fix. Sure. All right. Well, we we. Um... I think we have just enough time for some Ask Upgrade, special John Syracuse edition of Ask Upgrade. But I want to tell you about our sponsor for this edition of Ask Upgrade. It's MailRoute. 
IT departments are always expected to do more with less money. In 2016 is no different. This includes all the really important stuff like stopping spam and virus attacks. And there are a lot of end-of-life announcements for trusted hardware and software options out there that make these decisions more difficult. Postini went away, MX Logic. Who do you trust to do the job well and stick around? The answer is MailRoute. MailRoute's team has been focusing exclusively on email production since 1997. This is not a tiny part of a larger portfolio. This is what they do. Their interface is easy to use. It's loaded with administrative tools, including an API. It's all designed to make your life spam free. It protects your email and hardware against spam viruses and other attacks. It sits between your server and the big bad internet. You change your MX records to route through mail route. It pulls out all the bad stuff, passes on the good stuff. The load to your server is decreased and there's no junk in your inbox anymore. No hardware to install, no software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. MailRoute supports LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging. Mike's not here to say anything about mailbagging. Outbound Relay, everything you'd want from the people who handle your mail. And right now, MailRoute is offering price matching for McAfee and MX Logic customers. So if you have been left high and dry by another provider, go to the people who only do email. Stop your spam today with a free 30-day trial of MailRoute by going to MailRoute.net slash upgrade and listeners of the show can get 10% off for the lifetime of their account. That's right. Lifetime. Or just send an email to sales at mailroute.net. Tell them upgrade set you and they will take care of you. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses. That's it. That's all they do. And they do it better and have been doing it longer than anyone else. So go to mailroute.net slash upgrade today and save 10% for life. Thank you to MailRoute for supporting upgrade and this week's edition of ask upgrade. The first uh, item, which I moved down here from higher up in the show, is just pizza. We, Mike and I have been talking about pizza a little bit on the show, and I, um, I sided with Joe Steele on the pepperoni and pineapple pizza, which I enjoy greatly, which I am certain is not John Syracuse approved. But I, I was going to give you this opportunity to school me on what you decide real pizza is and, and what you have determined real pizza is. This is not robot or not. This is slightly different than the podcast we do about whether things are robots or not. This is pizza or not, which I think is a single ruling is going to make it clear. Um, I just want, before you speak, I was going to say, one time I had you over to my house and I made I made pizza. And I, I made a, I made a, uh, a traditional sort of red sauce uh, mozzarella, and I think maybe there were pepperoni on it. And then I also made a barbecue chicken pizza. And my recollection is you said, this is pizza, and this is some other thing that is not pizza. So can you educate me a little bit on what real pizza is? You and Mike talking about the pizzas, like the blind leading the blind. Like the guy <laughs> from the UK and the guy from California talking yep. about pizza. So you might as well be talking about zebras. I mean, lots of your vast <laughs> experience with zebras that you both have. Well, there's the California um, zebra kitchen, so... Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um. I to my record, you left out the most salient detail of the pizza you had at your house. I believe was it both of them. You can tell me one or both of them had cheddar cheese on. Them. Well, the barbecue chicken pizza had cheddar cheese on it. the The other one might have, although I will tell you that that I was um, thoroughly uh, cleared up about the proper use of cheddar cheese in pizza by you. And now um, I will still put some cheddar in a barbecue chicken pizza, but the the traditional red sauce pizza is only mozzarella. Yeah, so the, my whole pizza thing, like so many of my culinary things, it's, it's all about where I'm from. I'm from the New York metro area. I grew up on Long Island. Um, and all of my rulings on all those foods are entirely based on what I grew up with, which I think is true of everybody who has some particular, you know, 
thing about some food, whether it's someone who grew up in the South and can tell you exactly how grits have to be, right? You know, or uh, I don't know, like crawfish from New Orleans, whatever, whatever it is, like there's some local dish that, that is, you know, that you're from the area where that dish in, in America anywhere, where that, yeah. you know, that dish is known to come from there, right? And so you kind of get authority in saying, you know, and I would say the same thing, for example, about Chicago pizza. Like, this is not Chicago pizza. I can tell you what Chicago pizza is. I'm from Chicago, and I, you know, you can, you can sort of uh, definitively say that. But in the end, um, it doesn't mean anything more than anyone else's. Like, it, it, it only is what it is. You have to recognize that it's that uh, that all you're hearing is this is where this food became famous or is most well known, and all this person is doing is telling you how close the food that you're eating and calling the same thing is to the place where this food came from and is well noted. Um, everything beyond that, especially when it comes to California is something else because California makes a lot of things that are like good food, like made with good ingredients, like not crappy food that nevertheless are abominations of the original <laughs> food item. It doesn't mean they're bad food and might not taste bad or whatever, but it does mean, and it's almost worse when they're like, you know, good as opposed to someone making an abomination out of like processed food and gross things. It does mean though that that they're that it's like they are that food in name only, or that mm. someone had has heard a story about that food and then made it. Like they've never <laughs> actually seen or tasted one, but they they heard about it, um, and so this is what they've come up with. I and was told that if I put cheese and sauce on bread, it would be pizza. Right, exactly. And so what kind of cheese, what kind of, does it really matter what kind of cheese or sauce? And can I take some other meal like hamburgers or fried chicken and put it on top of there? And yeah, why not? Turkey dinner, put it on top. It's a turkey dinner pizza. Is that still pizza? Um, so anyway, yeah, all of my rules are, uh, you know, and, and for the people who are from these areas, tend to be like a purist. It's like, this is the way it has to be. This is what you put on it. And you don't put other stuff on it because the pizza seems so versatile. It's like, can't, you can put anything on there, yeah. can't you? You can. But now you're making something different. Even Chicago pizza, for example, would, is not pizza by East Coast New York standards. It sure. is a separate thing. And they can have uh, rulings about whether you're making a Chicago pizza, but it is so incredibly different. So um, the New York pizza is so simple. Like like so many of the original places, it, it is boring. You know, it's just the, you got the dough, you got the, the sauce, which is always tomato sauce with a certain set of spices that is very limited. Mm-hmm. You've got the cheese, which is always mozzarella cheese. And you've got a couple, handful of toppings. And that's it. And within that frame, you can do it badly or you can do it well, and you're judged based on that. But once you start branching out into, like, this seems like a, uh, you know, I can do anything. Like, I don't like mozzarella cheese. Well, then you don't like pizza. <laughs> you know, I, I want to have pizza, but I don't like mozzarella cheese. Well, then make something else that you that is inspired you by pizza flat, that you may a enjoy. bread with something right, else. And maybe a delicious meal that you love. Like, there are th- lots of interesting things you can put on top of things that are sort of dishes inspired by pizza, but... If you're ever going to have any sort of ruling about like what is and isn't pizza, uh, you have to pick your definition. And I pick my definition from where I came from, which is the the place in America where a pizza was popularized. And so that's what I go with. So right. no cheddar cheese, uh, no, no no barbecue, no barbecue chicken, chicken. Yeah. no turkey dinner, no no cheeseburgers, <laughs> no chocolate cake. <laughs> No okay. bacon, no, like just, just yeah. What, so, what toppings no. are allowed by you? Because so far, I have not. You have not ruled out my, which I know you're about to. You've not ruled out my pepperoni and pineapple. All right. So here's the the, the twist in this. Where I'm from, the the toppings are fairly straightforward. Like you got pepper, pepperoni, sausage, uh, olive. You've got things like meatball that are in there. You can't say that they're not because it's a topping that you can get in in most places. Um, 
and it doesn't stray much far. I mean, you got peppers and onions and mushrooms, right? It doesn't sure. stray very far from that. But there is what's known as Hawaiian pizza, which is the pineapple and ham, mm-hmm. right? Which is not not pineapple and pepperoni, which is not a valid company, you know. But pineapple is as far out as the weirdest pizza that you have to say is that is that included in one of the valid? Because you can get it in New York in most places in the New York metro metro area. Even when I was growing up. Chances are good if you ask for Hawaiian, you got a 50-50 chance maybe that the pizza place will know what that is and they will have it. Um, is it good? I never liked it. Um, did most people get it? No. Like, I think it was probably more reviled than anchovy, which is also another valid topping. Yeah. Um, but it was for sale. Was um, for so sale. I'm have, I, I have difficulty uh, judging that. As far as I'm concerned, I feel like that is that was maybe like the first chink in the armor of like <laughs> uh, where it all went uh, wrong. Uh, right, right. But it, it was it is it was like it is not something that I had never heard of. It's just something that I never chose to eat. But I saw other people eat it. Uh, so I'm going to rule against pepperoni and pineapple, which is just a made up thing. But Hawaiian pizza, quote unquote. That that's borderline. But you see, I mean, that's so, the so gray area. The difference between ham and pepperoni; uh, these are salty pork-based meats. They are not that There's different. There's a difference. They're There's not that difference. different. They don't go like because with Hawaiian, what you're going for is that sort of. I mean, you got the whole spam Polynesian Hawaii type. Like that's ham true. is different than pepperoni. It is just very very different. It's, it's not, not as good. It's not as spicy. It's not it's just yeah. So I I feel like both of them for me, I it's not my thing or whatever and. I think the only way you can sneak in is going with Hawaiian and saying it's ham and pineapple. Pepperoni and pineapple, I feel like you're just making things up. Well, it's a, a Hawaiian where it's like saying it's like saying bacon and pineapple or like or even or even, you know, sausage and pineapple. Those are not those are not combinations. That's not Hawaiian. So my, only ham and pineapple. Is. My parents would always order what I've considered to be the most baffling pizza ever, which is um, beef and onion. So it's like ground what beef. It's beef? like sausage. What does beef mean? It's ground beef. It's basically like sausage. No, that is that is not a top. See, that's, Sauc- that's like you can't just take ground beef and put it on top of pizza. It's not. Apparently, you can. Just, no. And then onion. And I find I don't understand it. I'd never heard of anybody, but you can apparently get this in lots of places: a beef and onion pizza. I don't know why you'd want to. I I don't know. I don't know. Well, see, the variance in pizza across the country, the other problem is, like, even if they're using all the ingredients, you think just, like, plain, straight-up mozzarella cheese, tomato sauce, and and dough. There's such incredible variation in just those three ingredients, such incredible, vile variation. that There's no safety (laughs) in, like, you have no idea what you're getting. And so once you branch out, even even the New York metro area, meatball pizza was the most dangerous because... What do you? Who? How do they make their meatballs? Yeah, what's in the meatball? No standardized. What is a meatball? You kind of have an idea. If it's supposed to be like an Italian a meatball, meatball is like a big, a, like a big ball. How do you even put that on the pizza? Do you do you chop it up? Or do you make little mini meatballs? You make them smaller. Sometimes they're cut oh. in half. It's it, you know, it, it, it's weird. It's, that's the other thing. Like in Italian that restaurants in New York area, I would never get the spaghetti and meatballs because the variation in meatballs right. from restaurant to restaurant was just fantastical. Could and, be any kind of meat. Bad. They could have like onion or or uh, celery or other kind of crunchy stuff in them, which I always hated. Or do they have breadcrumbs? Or yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of variations in that. So it was not really safe to get. But the most of the topics uh, toppings are you know olives or olives. All the vegetables are basically the same. You yeah. very often cut the same way. All right. Uh, pepperoni, even though there's variations in quality, you can kind of tell pepperoni when you're eating it and when you're not eating it. Sausage, Italian sausage, seems to be a little more consistent. Meatball starts right. to vary. Pineapple and ham were pretty consistent, too. 
All right. But around the rest of the country, they can't even get like the sauce or the cheese or the dough right. And so for, forget about their toppings. Who knows what you're going to get? Yeah. I use some I use some wheat flour along with white flour in my dough. So that pro- probably puts me in the crazy California side. Uh, you are in California. So yeah. like, why wouldn't you? I mean, why not put why not? sunflower seeds? And I put there? beer. Put I some put, avocado on top. I put, well, yeah. I mean, we know about avocado. I can tell the rest of the country they're doing it wrong when it comes to, to avocado. Well, like, and, if you're putting it on pizza, and, you're doing it wrong. mission style burritos. Those are, those are our local foods that we can control. All right. Well, this is why we talk about robots on Robot or Not. This has been Pizza or Not as part of Ask, Ask Upgrade. I have a couple really quick Ask Upgrades that I wanted to get your thoughts about. One is from uh, Bobby, who says, what comes first, true family iCloud photo libraries, a new file system, ding, or a full iTunes rewrite? What would be your prediction? Which one of those will come first? I'm going to predict the new file system first. Not because I think it's imminent, but just because a full iTunes rewrite just... It just seems like it's not even a glimmer in anyone's eyes, but it's it's hard to tell. And iPhoto libraries, they've done so much with photos lately, and they they probably feel like that they've that that need doesn't exist anymore because of like the shared streams. Uh, it does. It, it still totally exists. Does. I agree. I feel like that the, the, there's an iTunes family piece that's still going to keep dropping of like all the other stuff getting integrated into into family yeah. iTunes accounts. But 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 all that stuff is like. The the, uh, the photos one especially probably doesn't feel as pressing to them because they just made such a massive improvement to well, photos that it's time to like refine and and build on that. I and asked iTunes them about just it seems too. Stuck in a rut. I asked them about it and they they brought up something that I thought was interesting, which was who's to say that everybody in a family wants to share photos. Which I thought was like okay, no, I, interesting take on that. Like your kids, do your kids really want all of their pictures dumped well, into yeah, your photo library? You should have said to them is like uh, we're not talking about the whole family. Oh, that does happen for when the whole family goes on a vacation. But surely in families that have more than one parent, which yes. I believe there are a lot of in the world, surely the parents want to mm-hmm. share the pictures they individually take of their children. Indeed, that is a indeed we do use case. Yeah. So you're going to yeah, say so file system. I, so anyway, like, so, so, yeah. So I'm going to say file system just because it's been so long in coming. It hasn't arrived. It hasn't improved. Whereas iTunes has been improved many times over. And it seems like I'm not even sure they know what they want to do with iTunes. And the photo library, they just made such a huge, massive change to it. I feel like it is conceivable 2017 they could introduce a new file system. And it is conceivable that by 2017, neither of those other two things happen. So I'm picking file system, right. but it could be. Wishful thinking. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the family iCloud photo libraries because I I do feel like there's another shoe that's gonna drop that they've been working to add more features now that they've got the family feature out there that we're going to see a, additional stuff thrown into it. I'm hoping that we're gonna get a shared pool of data for iCloud and that we are gonna be able to opt to have photo libraries go across accounts that it won't be mandatory because you know again my daughter doesn't want to share her pictures with us and that's fine but my wife and i would like to be able to share our pictures and right now you kind of can't because to be logged into some things on your iphone you can't be logged into other things you can't really use two ids for everything so you know we can't do that right now so i'm gonna i'm gonna predict that also because i feel like although it's work it's there's a lot of behind the scenes work that's already been done whereas a new file system and a full itunes rewrite are such huge projects that i'm also gonna think that maybe this is a, a thing we're already watching it happen and it'll just it'll it'll tick that box as it moves forward with the i the icloud family stuff because they my they, hope on the file new. system is that they have been working on it for years already yeah that's true many many years well maybe so Maybe we'll get all of them at WWC in June, right? Sure. No, yeah. not this year. And so the, I, I have iCloud Photo Library. Like I, I'm gonna say, like it is just a big improvement. It used to be that you had to designate which computer was the iPhoto computer. Remember those days? Oh yeah. Like oh oh, mom's computer is the iPhoto computer. 
now we've made such an improvement. Now you designate which Apple ID is the is the photo's Apple ID. Yeah, which is is a, actually a really big improvement because at least it's it's portable with the Apple ID and not tied to a piece of hardware or anything like that. But yeah, the, the next when I think about how it should work with families, like it's not obvious how what is the best interface. This we all see the need. Like we, we I don't want to do the current dance that I do to try to somehow bring over the pictures that I take on my phone to get them into the family photo library, which uses my wife's you know Apple ID and everything, but. Like, full sharing of everything is also the wrong answer. And how do you present an interface to that so people don't get confused about where the heck their photos are? It actually is a pretty hard problem, but it is a, a very pressing need. Yeah, I just... The iCloud family stuff was introduced only last year. So I feel like there's going to be that year two of, now we're going to do this. But, you know, that is also... I gotta, I, I'm doing a lot of wish casting when I say that, too, because I really want those features to be there. And they may not be there. Listener, uh, listener Mahir wrote in to say, what is your most played song in iTunes and give us the reported play count too. I will go first. Um, Modern Love by Matt Nathanson is the number one on my iTunes. It says I have 214 plays of that, but records are spotty. You know, that doesn't cover until iTunes match started syncing plays across devices. Um, you know, I would delete things and add things and listen on different computers and none of it would stay in sync. Now it all stays in sync, but that really is only so, so for the last like year and a half. Um, I did used to do Audio Scrobbler to Last FM. So I went there and I haven't done that in two years, but there were several years where everything I played on my Mac at work especially got scrobbled to Last FM. And it, I looked it up and the most played track there was Let Go by Fru Fru, also 214 plays, which I find just kind of peculiar. So those are mine. What about you, John? Yeah, I just want to reiterate my lack of faith in the play counts. Because first of all, they, yeah. they all seem way too low. Second of all, I'm not even sure. I do subscribe to iTunes Match, and I have since the beginning. But I'm not even sure that they're really syncing the way that they should be. And third of all, like I said, the numbers just look look weird and inexplicable and just all way too low. So I've been listening to iTunes for since iTunes existed, since it was on you know classic Mac OS. But... Surely these play counts don't account for that. So I have no idea what range these play counts are in. But anyway, my number one is REM's Perfect Circle for Murmur. Play count is 321. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I, I, I love play counts, actually. And it's funny, I don't pay attention to them much anymore because for so long they were irrelevant because they didn't cover my iPod plays and they didn't cover the different Macs and they wouldn't sync. And then I'd remove something from my library for some reason and then bring it back and the play counts would be gone. But since they did iTunes Match, Apple has actually synced play counts with uh, all your devices, apparently. So... Yeah, I mean, and my, my number three is down to double digits already. So these can't be right. Wow. Yeah, that can't be. That can't be right. I have a whole bunch of things in the uh, upper 100s. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It turns out there's a song that I play. Um, this is something I have in common with Merlin, actually. A song I play when I'm in a certain mood, especially at the beginning of the day. And it's kind of a, a, a dark or or angry mood i play something i learned today by husker du and I, it's got 113 plays so that's how many times i've had i've been in that mood lately um it's it's in the top 20 anyway it's not in the top 10 but it's in the top 20 yeah the other complication is uh playing songs in the car for kids because my number two is let it go from frozen <laughs> of course it is yeah 
of course there were there which would've... i also i also listen to myself i'm not going to put all those plays on my kids i like that song i do listen to it in the car but a lot of those are yeah. job related sure uh listener rob wrote in to say do you think amazon is working on an amazon video app for the apple tv and rob would like to watch doctor who again which is doctor who is moving to amazon as an exclusive the new series of doctor who uh mike and i talked about this a lot what do you think is what's amazon's strategy here do they want their their uh they're on ios uh do they want to be on apple tv do they not do want to do they want to sabotage apple tv what's going on when I try to handicap this, I try to think about how many people are like us and how many people are more like a single box household. Because in, for my experience of television for the past many years has been, let's see all of the various applications on my various boxes compete against each other. Who has the best Netflix client? Who has the best, best Amazon video yeah. client? Right. I mean, because every, like, you know, down to my TV, my TV can play Netflix, my TV can play Amazon video. So can my TiVo. So can my Apple TV. So can my PlayStation. So can my Wii. And it's like, yep. and I'm just picking among them and they change like, who's got a good app this week or whatever. But at no point am I like, I really wish I could watch Amazon video, but unfortunately I don't have a box that can play it. I have like seven boxes that can play it. And am I the aberration because I have a million boxes connected to my TV and most people can't support that because it's ridiculous and most people just have like one thing, like they just have their, their cable box maybe and then maybe one other thing and that they're somehow being stopped from watching Amazon. I guess that, I mean, maybe that's more common than what I have. Um, but it just seems ridiculous to me that Amazon would withhold their application from Apple TV for any reason other than spite, because it seems like yeah. it's pointless. You're not, I don't think they're selling more fire TVs because of it. People, because those people who have only one box, they have only one box because they don't want to have a million boxes. And you know, they're just going to like live without it then. And it's stupid. Amazon, if they're going to be a content company, if they're going to pay to have men in the high castle made and pay all this money for the new top gear, the show from the other people did top gear or whatever. You got to get your show out to as many people as possible. Just, I mean, even even Apple made iTunes for Windows. Like you can't you can't be like that. If you're going to produce content, you need to get it everywhere. Like Netflix. Netflix was like, do you have a a, a, a box that an electric cable goes into? Yep. We want a Netflix client on mm-hmm. it. Like they wanted it everywhere. That's the right strategy. And I think eventually Amazon will see that. Yeah. So I, I would predict that Amazon will eventually be on Apple TV. I think they'll. I think they're working on it. They they're on iOS. Of course, they'll be there eventually. Maybe there's some politics around when they go, but I think it, I think it's going to happen. I think it's inevitable. Yeah. If if it is spite, it's stupid. Yeah. Oh, agreed completely. That's a terrible reason. Uh, listener Lucas has our final question today, which is: What topics can you only discuss when Mike is not around? Pizza, well, please. Pizza, definitely. Um, let's see what else pens are dumb. I don't like pens and, uh, Mike was wrong. Uh, big phones. The iPhone six plus is no good. The iPhone six, uh, s forever until the next iPhone. That's not huge. Any other terrible things we could say? Well, uh, USA, USA, we can do that. Well, Mike is not around. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like you could talk about most of these things with him. I, it's there. true. I don't know if there's anything that you can't. It would probably be something that he's not interested in. Is there anything that you're interested in that he's just that he would just roll his eyes and be bored and have nothing to say about? Well, we talked about boxes that you attach to a television to watch things. He's totally not oh. interested in that. What about baseball? Oh yeah, yeah. But you're not that I mean, interested. In, you're not interested. I know. In baseball but I'm like for you, what, what could you talk about? You, oh, if you had well, someone on who was really into baseball, you're not going to have these deep 
conversations well, with baseball with Mike. Honestly, the iPhone, the iPhone six, uh, six plus and six S plus. That's a thing that I can't really have when he's around because he just won't stop talking about how he's right. <laughs> and I just don't, I just don't agree. I don't like that big phone. I mean, it's not, it's not a right or wrong as you po- pointed out. It's personal preference. My personal preference mm-hmm. does not match his, but yes, baseball. Mm-hmm. We had a great question last week about sports. Or as they say in in Sport, England, yeah. sports. They only, they only have one there. They, they just have, have the one. They, they have lots football. of they have lots of maths though. Lots yeah. of maths. Only one sport. It's an interesting uh, dynamic. They have a real real cardinality problem over there. Yeah, they have priorities. They got more math and and less sports. And we we went the other way. So that's that's sort of our cross to bear, I think. But um, but he he didn't even have like a, a point when he was ten where he had a. Uh, a David Beckham poster on the wall. He's just never been interested in it, which is fine. Lots of uh, lots of computer nerds, uh, you know, lots of people in our culture are like that. I'm not one of them, but there are a lot of people out there who just it never. He said, "Don't play it." Not interested in it. And I said, "Well, I don't play it. I played like basketball in the eighth grade. I was on our team, seventh and eighth grade basketball. That was my last venture into organized sports. But I still like sports, even though I can't play them. I don't know." Things about how England. Well, I, I even insulting England, I could probably do around Mike because his accent keeps <laughs> drifting closer and closer to the United States. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. No, we'll change him yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll reform him. He he did refer to uh, to sports last week and not sport, which mm-hmm, I felt was mm-hmm. an ultimate betrayal to all of our British listeners who no, should he, find he him. He can't help it. Like I, said, it's, I try to say it's like when you have a conversation with somebody who, you know, you say gif and they say jif, and it's like a battle of wills to see during the conversation. Yep. You know, the conversation is not about that. You're just talking like at work about something. This, this happened more when we actually used to word, use gifs on the internet, right? But you were just discussing something, and it is almost impossible to have an ongoing conversation over the course of a week with two people who say it differently. One will break, and when talking to the other person can form uh, to their way of saying things. And so it's your job to hold strong with the, you know, American pronunciations and everything. And eventually he'll break. Yeah. It's Jeff, by the way. <laughs> this episode of Upgrade brought to you by Casper, Squarespace, and MailRoute. Thank you to our sponsors. You can reach me at Jay Snell. Mike is iMike on Twitter. Of course, our guest, John Syracusa, is Syracusa on Twitter. S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. Syracuse, and you can reach him uh, atp.fm for Accidental Tech Podcast, and of course, at Relay FM, he has reconcilable differences with Merlin Mann, and at theincomparable.com not only can you find many episodes with John, but of course, John and I do Robot or Not there every week. We talk about why something is not a robot, usually. Uh, John, thanks for being on Upgrade. I appreciate it. No problem, Jason. Anytime. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will see you next week, and Mike will be back in the UK. Bye! Thank you.